Walt Disney presents the Disney Legends. Since 1987, the Walt Disney Studio has been honoring people who've made significant contributions to the Disney legacy. I want you to meet Mary Blair. She was Walt's favorite artist. Although you've seldom seen her drawings on the screen, stylist Mary Blair was one of the most influential artists at Disney. And of course, Small World, something that everybody in the world by now will remember is a very Mary Blair. What is this? Pixar, is this... This Hades costume is the stinkiest costume on this brand. <laughs> Babies are often very useless when you need to get things done. Take a puff. Do you fear Bing-bong is a sus individual. Ole, ole, it's showtime. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowerstocks. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's Gang at patreon.com slash mousemadness. Kyle, uh, I hope you had a legendary week. I did. I know I did. <laughs> uh, and just thinking about all these Disney legends always gives me that itch to return back to the Disney parks. Yes, Absolutely. I loved last week's discussion. I love talking about all of this historical stuff, as you can tell by the length of our last episode. But it's always a good time to to kind of think back to what this company was built on, especially yeah. like today, right? We had sure. an entire Patreon uh, episode about is Disney losing the theme park race, right? And like why that may or may not be. And I think when you you dive back into what made this company the animation powerhouse, the kind of songwriting powerhouse, the themed experience powerhouse. It takes a ton of incredible people like this to make it happen. All of these Disney legends. Uh, and it was really fun to dive in deep last time. And we're going to get even deeper this time because our guest host is coming with the knowledge. It is Kyle Madsen. Kyle, welcome back. What's up, guys? You had uh, some things that you held on to last time, and, and I'm excited to dive into more of that. But you also had some takes in which you were the first guest host, I think, that said one of our arguments swayed your decision in the final yeah. there with, over to, to Mark Davis. I don't know. Did you sleep on it and think you made the right decision or do you think you, know, you should have gone with me and Ken Anderson? No, I, I slept on it and actually I, I thought about it a lot this week <laughs> and I feel even better about my choice now. <laughs> I feel so good about it that I wear the same outfit this time. Same. Same. We're all just kind of well, feeling that magic right shoot, now. Yeah, yeah. Look good, feel good. And we felt good about the last one. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have a ton of um, Mark Davis like pirate sketch postcards uh, in my room somewhere. I'll never do anything with them, but they're cool to have, I guess. They're going to be Jerry's getting trivia prizes one day. One day, they'll probably end up there. Yeah, the next trivia prize, just get ready. It's something out of my my (laughs) bin of stuff over there. Uh, But I'm excited to talk more history things. And even before we do that, Chris, uh, we've got a a bit of a segment returning. We've got a bit of a segment returning because you took a trip to the parks this summer and you brought a little something back. Let's talk to the people. What are we doing? Yeah, so um, we love stuff. We love Disney <laughs> stuff. 
you know, I love getting rid of stuff, but I also love acquiring stuff. So I achieve a net zero carbon footprint. That's how that works, right? Yeah, sure. So uh, I was at Disney World and I was like, I need to buy a present for Kyle Skinner. Uh, I, I absolutely have to. Like, this man has never been to Disney World before. Never once. And like that still completely blows my mind. And like <laughs> never once. we were talking about Existencio last week and he, you just very casually like, oh yeah, he also worked on like Spaceship Earth. <laughs> and I'm like, the way that you talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, you don't even realize like what <laughs> you go and ride something like that. And like, that's a whole nother world you could be jumping into. Um, and I would love for you to experience that one day. I hope to be there when you do. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I got to bring you back something. Uh, but you have so much Disney stuff. That's like we're in much. your apartment and, and I love Disney stuff and you obviously love Disney stuff, but I'm like, I feel like you have everything you want already. Oh yeah. So I was like, I need to get you something that's maybe smaller in scale. That is more so like maybe a reference to something that we've talked about on the podcast, or it's more of like a joke and a gesture than an actual thing that I feel like you need. I appreciate that. So I'm at the pin training spot. (laughs) Uh-huh. And they have all these mystery pins, and you brought me mystery pins yeah uh that were a super dope mystery pins when you were went to the part uh Disneyland in January um and so I was like man I'll get Kyle a mystery pin in return because you had mentioned that you and Nina do that so you, you dabble in mystery pins totally um and so I'm looking for the right mystery pin to get you at first I had a 50th anniversary Disney mystery pin box in my hand and I was like well it's 50th like we had such fond memories of Disneyland's 50th, Disney World's 50th. I know you probably aren't going to be able to experience it, but it might be cool to have a, a memento from it. Right. But then I saw it. <laughs> then I saw the mystery pin box that you absolutely needed to get. And the name of the mystery pin collection is Kingdom of Cute. <laughs> and I know you're, you don't, Kyle necessarily gravitate towards cute no, things. No. And I, I wanted to buy it for you ironically until I turned over the back to see what the mystery pins, kingdom cute pins are in the collection. And I kid and you not, sick. we are eight for eight things <laughs> that we collectively love. We've got a kingdom of cute Yeti from the Matterhorn, kingdom of cute, uh, what is it? A, a bee? bumblebee, bumblebee from, the, uh, from Main Street parade. Legend. We got a Kingdom of Cute House of the Future. I don't know Come how on. that's in there. Not even a Disney World attraction. <laughs> a Kingdom of Cute Eagle Sam from America Sings, which we just talked about. Yeah. A Kingdom of Cute Pirates of the Caribbean Dude. Kingdom of Cute Parrot from Carnation Garden. Yeah, I, maybe. I He's got guy. a little... I don't know who that guy is. He's got a little top hat on. He's yeah. someone. Uh, a Kingdom of Cute Mark Twain and a Kingdom of Cute uh, Submarine Voyage. And I was like, dude, we've all, we've talked about almost all, all those things on the pod. And uh, I would love to find out what you pull from there. So what do you what are you liking in that I, roster of things? I mean, being the Pirates guy, I obviously want the little Jolly Roger talking head that you go down the waterfall that under. Guy. Yeah. Uh, that's the guy that that's pin, uh, the pin of. The parrot is actually the Barker bird that used to be outside of the Enchanted Tiki Room when it first opened. There was like an animatronic Barker bird that would try and entice you to come into the Tiki Room. So that's what that is. I really like that. I love the House of the Future. I think yeah. that's such a weird pin to have. So I kind of want it for that reason. So I think my big three 
are the the pirates, the parrot, and the house of the future. And this pack came with two. So we're going to see what we got here. So the first one opening up, it feels a little, it feels a little Jolly Roger-ish. So we'll go ahead and see. Don't use your teeth to open up things, but I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, no, it pokes through. I reject the premise that you don't gravitate toward cute things because you do a podcast with Chris. (laughs) Hey. Hey. (laughs) All right. First pin, not even a little mad about it. Is the Mark Twain? Hey, dude, it's pretty it's a very big. cute. Mark Twain. Yeah, is yeah. Like what a, is it? Is, is there a cute, cute face on it somewhere? Oh, there is a cute yeah. face. <laughs> At the very bottom, there's a, little, there's a little happy face. Um, that is a cute little Mark Twain. That's so. I like. I like that a lot. That was. That's a sleeper pick, and I okay. love it. All okay. All right. So I love. I love the notion that you just make something cute by putting a eyes bit. and a smile. <laughs> I love that's, that they. They're like, we need eight things. Ah, oh, come on! What is what's cute about us? What's cute? That boat, that boat is cute. Cute boat. You know what would make that boat adorable? <laughs> Just the tiniest oh, smiley, smiley face. <laughs> and the second pin is it, it was fate. It was made to be. It is the Barker bird from hey, the Enchanted Tiki. Is that who that is? Yeah, I man. swear to God, I don't think that's right. I th- no, I think we look up the Barker bird. Pretty sure he wore a top hat and had a little cane. And if I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. Tiki Room Parrot. And he no. hosted Bird Prices Right. Yeah. Tiki Room Barker <laughs> oh, Bird. Oh, man. Tough crowd. Oh, yeah, that it's is fun. him. Yeah. The you mysterious know. Barker Bird. Yeah. yeah that's, dude, he's dope. Yeah. Deep cut. Deep I'm, cut. Uh, I wish I kind of wanted you to get Eagle Sam, but I guess I'll have to go hey, back and yeah, buy another I guess we got to do more of these Kingdom of Cute Those pens. things are pretty big. Yeah, these are... Great sized pins. I mean, they're they're great. Chris, where did you find these? These were at the Disney pin trading like hut at Disney Springs in Walt Disney. You know exactly where it is. Yeah, right by Earl of Sandwich. Right by her. Yeah, yeah, bro. (laughs) You're right. You're right. I'm going in. I'm going in January. I'm gonna buy as many of those as I need to buy. (laughs) Oh. That's a good call. Anyways, you get all of them. Uh, what are you gonna What are you gonna do with them? You gonna rock them a, like around town? Do you have like a pin board? <laughs> I've got, <laughs> I've got a pin like such cute pin. <laughs> Look at that cute boat that guy's wearing. Oh my gosh! I have like a pin banner that oh. hangs in our room. Like it's just a oh, did you thing. get that from D twenty three? No, no, but um. We had collected all of these mystery pins and yeah. just all these pins. Nina loves pins in general. So there's we just have a ton oh, of just like non-Disney okay. pins. Got it. So it's like a little banner of them. So I'm going to add them to that. And then cool. they'll just come with me on vacation. I'll put them on the backpack or put them on the lanyard, nice. whatever I've, I've got rocking. But they'll sit on the banner nice and proud. And you still have no interest in trading pins, even with cast members who like have them on little boards by the cash register. Oh man, because I got to talk to them. <laughs> I got to talk to them and I got to be like, can I see your, can I see what pins you, you want to, you have right. to trade? I'm not, I don't want to do that. Um, one day I'll have too many when, which I'll have, I'll have to like do something. Sure. I'll have to do something. Sure. Jerry's gang will get all do of a them. Pit, yeah. <laughs> In trivia uh, night. An RT to win pin contest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But thank you for those. 
Sure. Incredible. Yeah. I love the mystery packs and I got two great pins right there. Uh, Kyle, I can't wait to hear what you get when you go in January. We'll have you back on to uh, to open the mine <laughs> and see what cute <laughs> pins you got that time. <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and let's let's continue on here. Let's talk spoonful of sugar. Chris, what are you drinking this week? Oh, gee, I, I'm begrudgingly drinking a White Claw. Yeah. I'm not a big White Claw guy, sure. but I uh, we had some burritos before we recorded this, so I'm feeling a little full in the yeah. stomach area so i figured some kind of lighter than a beer would be a good idea one of the things i don't like about white claw is the variety of flavors yeah do you remember that costco documentary that came out on like msnbc in like 2012 <laughs> no <laughs> and they were like they went into the factory where they make the costco toilet paper and it was like a whole like inside costco like <laughs> No, no, no one remembers this. No. Kyle Madsen, you don't remember this either. Every, all, everyone I knew was talking about this Costco. Anyways, one of the things they were like, the way, reason Costco is so successful is they don't let you choose. Like ah. when you have a decision to make, if there are too many choices, you will not make a choice. You will walk away. And so White Claw, people are like, oh, what flavor White Claw do you want? I'm like, I don't, there are too many flavors of White Claw. I, I don't know. I don't know what you have. I don't even know what I like because I haven't tried all of them. The fruit, like fruit flavored things, lots, lots can go wrong with fruit, fruit flavored they things. They almost always miss. Yeah. Let's be honest. And they almost always miss. They'll combine flavors that shouldn't be combined together just to like make a new flavor so that people go, oh, there's a, there's a new flavor. It's like Skittles. Yes. There's too many Skittles flavors <laughs> and there's too many white cloth flavors. So I'm drinking a strawberry. Strawberry is a very negotiable flavor for me. It's my favorite fruit. I like a strawberry flavor. Anything can't go wrong with it. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a Modelo. We have a fridge full of Modelos because that seems to be the like the drink of choice whenever we get large groups together. And a couple weeks ago, we all gathered at, uh, at a beach house for a little pod trip yeah. uh, in Santa Cruz. And while we were there, we bought a ton of Modelos and didn't drink all of them. So we brought them all home. So nice. they've just been sitting in my fridge. So here I am with a ice cold Modelo. Can't go wrong. Feels nice after eating that burrito. Uh, Kyle, what you got over there? I'm still on this health kick. So I'm still crushing water. And I've got my Tony and Harriet Claude with me. Yeah. Yeah, that worked. That yep, that did. I we got it. We got it. Shout out to the legend. <laughs> Claude. Tony, Harriet, and Claude. <laughs> oh man. All right. Speaking of those legends, let's go ahead and recap where we got to last week. Uh we had an incredible bracket of sixteen that were picked out of over 300 named Disney legends, and we narrowed it down to an elite eight. That elite eight looked a little something like this. It's the number 16 Sherman brothers taking on the number nine Bobby Gurr. Down the brackets, the number four Tony Baxter taking on number five X Atencio. The number two Mary Blair taking on the number seven Claude Coates. And rounding out the elite eight, it's the number three of Iwerks taking on the number six Mark Davis. Chris, uh, you started out last time, so yep. I'll go ahead and lead off this time with the number 16 Sherman Brothers versus the number nine Bob Gurr. We talked a ton about both of these just in the existence of our podcast, honestly, but also last week. Bob Gurr, 
the if it moved at Disneyland, I probably built it guy. We're talking monorail. We're talking Autopia. We're talking people mover. We're talking Matterhorn bobsleds. He's out here figuring it out without even knowing what he's building. Uh, and and what I love about Bob Gurr a lot, and I think that that's kind of that Disney mantra is that we're going to try something. And if it doesn't work, we are going to not only figure out why, but we're going to iterate on it. And he had to learn that with things such as the monorails, all of the different styles of them to make them more efficient, the Autopia cars, understanding how they, if they get banged into each other as all the kids are driving into, into each other on the track, yeah. you know, we have to fix the body of them. I was driving a car lately. Okay. Once. Yeah. Recently drove a car. Yep. <laughs> and uh, there was like another car on the road that their bumper had like come off. Yeah. And and then there was like an Autopia bumper on the back of like the real car. <laughs> like <laughs> the that te- like, that's like a real technology that's in your actual car. Like I like shock absor- I, absorption. I never realized that. Yeah. He just threw it on the outside of it. He was like, yeah, it will ruin the body. Let's go ahead and just put it on the outside. Yeah. And it's it's great that Bob has done that for so long because not only does he see what works and doesn't work, but he can also kind of predict maybe how things should be designed to fit the needs of the park moving forward. Uh, And so you have these as the monorails start to get maybe a little bit dated in their design as the park is building around them, he can start ripping out some new designs that make them fit that new aesthetic. And that's that kind of Walt mentality of this: these parks will never be finished. This isn't a museum. We're always going to be building. We're always going to be changing. And he can embody that. But then again, you look at something like the Main Street vehicles, which have kind of just remained the same forever. They should because they exist in a period of time that has just never changed. But uh, so that that kind of argument doesn't land all the time. Uh, it's kind of interesting that like the if it moves, I probably if it moved on wheels, I probably designed it with the carousel of progress, because I guess that just means that he's out here designing how the theater rotates. I guess so. Which is also an incredible feat. How sure. do you move a theater? Uh, it's that innovation that we know and love from from Disney. The Sherman Brothers. Uh, I like don't even know what to say about them because we cover them so often. But they're they're kind of writing for show, and no matter what show it is, they are proficient at that. They are experts at it. They can write show for uh, commercial jingles. They can write a show for an, a full-length film, both animated and live action. They can write for show of a themed experience in a theme park. They can write for a, a just a general theme song that you're sitting in the lobby waiting for. And they do it, and it almost never misses. There are songs that are like, okay, a little bit forced or like, what are we doing here with it? But my favorite example, and they, this is the forced one is a, a monkey's uncle by Annette Funicello Yeah, uh, is that it's just the theme of it's the name of the film. And so they wrote a, a theme song for the name of the film, but it's so, it feels like they were just like, we don't really want to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to have her talk about, being in love with this guy, but referring to him as the monkey's uncle. And she's just going to repeat that over and over again. 
But what's impressive even about that is that they wrote it in the style of the Beach Boys because they knew the Beach Boys were going to be performing it with Annette, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's that genius of understanding where they are, the detail of understanding where they are. That's super important. And I just think that their influence on the Disney company as a whole has lasted forever. Attractions now come with some sort of soundtrack. Oftentimes, it's an original one. Uh, all of these Disney songs kind of, or Disney movies center around some sort of musical aspect. And Howard Ashman can be credited with really rocket launching that. But you have it there with the Sherman brothers who did it so well. Uh, and then just the the pairing of the the whimsy. You know a Disney style song when you hear it, and they were the ones that really yeah. cemented that. Right. And I think that's incredibly important. So I have a yet again another upset. Wow. I have big Bobby Gurr going down just because of the general influence and contributions that Dick and Bob have on the company as a whole, not just the theme parks. Yeah, it's so hard because again, I love Bob Gurr and I love the transportation ride and and so much of Bob's contributions are what makes Disneyland the park what it is. Yeah. Last episode, I talked about how riding Disney attractions and also watching Disney films is this blend of character and setting and how those two things work in collaboration to inspire you or make you feel a sense of immersion. Um, but music is a, is a very valuable aspect of that as well. Um, and the Sherman brothers have contributed on both sides. Uh, they've contributed in films like Mary Poppins, like you said, where there's that storytelling aspect and they just, they just give it that one extra thing to send you just you're, it's like you're up here, you're, you're like at a nine and then the music sends you to like a 13 totally, uh, into, into the next level. And then it's the same thing in, in rides like uh, It's a Small World, you know? the the Imagine that ride just with no sound. That would be it's, the worst experience of all time. Just, just so boring, <laughs> like, right? Um, it's hard, though, because they're up against Bob Gurr and you go, yeah. all right, well, like, Bob, you're, you are riding on the shoulders of Bob Gurr. Right. <laughs> These attractions the- may not exist. You won't have a song to write if <laughs> Bobby Gurr's not out there. Hope you brought your walking shoes because... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I hope you brought your snorkel because you're swimming this this small world flume. Um, And so like, I mean, Bob Gurr is responsible for your, the way that you take in these stories in a lot of ways as well. And when you hop into the bobsled on the Matterhorn, you feel so immersed. Like this isn't just you, you know, in a little clamshell and you're just kind of like, uh, experiencing it from the outside, like you're in it, like you are experiencing the Matterhorn. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you're literally going down it in a bobsled. So it's super hard to compare the two um, because the contributions of the Sherman brothers, uh, you know, they go into through your ears and they go into your brain, but like you can literally like Bob Gurr's contributions, like hold your body. <laughs> And so, um, I think I'm going to go with Bob Gurr for okay. that reason. Okay. I mean, his, 
his creations have the ability to touch you. Bob Gers. In, in physical ways that these <laughs> other people cannot touch you. Bob Gers touch and Bob Gers touch. Oh. See what I'm saying? There, there. it is. All All right. Right. Okay, so Matson, this one's going to a tiebreaker. So I think that Bob Gurr had an impact that like when I think about Disneyland and I think about Disney, his impact is more visual to me, but Disneyland specifically to me is an auditory experience. Like I think of walking into Disneyland and let's take out um, the cars on main street and let's take out the monorail and the, and stuff with wheels at least that's like innovative there's still going to be stuff with wheels but if you take that out but there's still the music i think it's still disneyland and there's still the sounds and what what the sherman brothers kind of pioneered if you take out the music and the sounds and you keep all the stuff with wheels (laughs) i think it's weird yeah like it's strange now (laughs) i work to the sounds of disneyland Oh website. baby, like you already know. That's the, on the music what? I just throw on in the background. So I think when I think of Disney, both animation and Disneyland, the audio side of it is what really hits me in that muscle that's like, I need this in my life. This is such a massive part of my life that I'm going to spend time and money and energy. <laughs> on it yeah so that's why i'm moving the sherman brothers through because i think their impact from an audio standpoint is is unmatched sure so the 16th seed moves on to the final four how far will they go we'll see and who will they face in the next round we'll see Next matchup, we've got the number four seed, Tony Baxter versus number five, Exitensio. It's getting a little tougher, folks. Here it is. Um, We talked a lot about the X-Man. We talked about him being a kind of multifaceted, talented guy, able to do art, do art things, drawing things, also do like physical animation, Babes in Toyland. Yeah. Any any opportunity we get to talk about Babes in Toyland, I'd love to bring it back <laughs> up. Uh, it's a small world. It's a small world. Mary Poppins, uh, the Mary Poppins nursery scene. Um, and went on to do write scripts for rides, music, uh, like lyrics for rides, like Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, but Tony Baxter, I guess we didn't dive into him a whole lot, uh, other than the fact that he, you know, designed like everything all of your e-ticket attractions that you love right star tours indiana <laughs> jones uh splash round d23 did they did this thing uh-oh where they said that quote childhood memories of song of the south which tony saw in theatrical re-release helped inspire splash mountain the initial idea for which was tony's alone and if y'all are fans of the defunct land YouTube channel. <laughs> you know that a very similar Splash Mountain type attraction existed at Six Flags Astro World. Yep. I guess it was just Astro World before it was Six Flags, um, which was like basically the same thing. It was like a log flume ride about a rabbit that gets trapped. Fall, you fall down a hill, or you at least go through something 
And then the rabbit is freed at the end. Given Song of the South did come first, but... Uh, that story, the story that we experienced in Splash Mountain didn't happen in Song of the South. It's just right. the characters. Right. So it feels a little bit like Tony went on an Astro World ride and said, let's just make that a little better. Right. I love that you mentioned the Discovery Bay project. You mentioned the Westcott project, yeah. the, the failed creations of Tony Baxter. These are kind of like the the rabbit holes that I like to go down when I think about Disney history. It's like the things that could have been and almost like the things that could one day. Yeah. Come back up. Come back up or like it come back up in a different way. Yes. You know, um, executive producer at Disneyland Paris. Like that's a huge credit. Huge. Um, I have been to Disneyland Paris and for it being such like a failed park when it opened, it is a pretty beautiful Disney park. Yeah. It's, it's got like the, the size of the magic kingdom in Florida where everything's, there just seems like a little bit more room to like walk around and everything's just a little bit bigger, but it has kind of like the ornateness and like the quality and detail of Disneyland park. It's really, really stunning. Um, it's definitely got, it doesn't really have the sense of like magic. I think just because it's like European and, uh, I don't know that everyone that goes to the park, like, is drinking the punch that is like the <laughs> Disney way. Uh, but, but it's great. So love that for Tony Baxter. Um, finding Nemo submarine voyage, uh, the sleeping beauty castle walkthrough. Yeah. And as well as like the, uh, the new, the new fantasy land. Was that mm, yeah, Tony Baxter that Tony as well? Baxter, yeah, yeah. So, so before, Tony Baxter fantasy land was like a carnival type yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah. With little tent facades. Yeah. There was a bunch of tents around and there wasn't a whole lot of like shade or foliage. It was very flat yep. uh, and it was like hot, notoriously hot. And so Tony came in uh, and he reimagined the whole area to make it feel like this kind of like European town square village thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the way that we know it today and it just it's incredible how much better oh, it yeah. looks. Oh, you know? so much better. Uh so much less storybooky and so much more like authentic. Totally. Very hard. Very hard because when we're talking about Disney legends, we like to talk about these these people that are experts in one thing and then they go and they get pulled in to do other stuff. But on the other hand, the things that Tony is specializing in are like things that are so important and like the way that we think about Disney now. Yeah. Like this, the, the, the artistry and the storytelling and the um, guys just trying to figure it out to bring an animated picture to life. That's all great. And like that is preserved in a lot of ways. But the the thrilling nature of of the Tony Baxter attractions are also like really important to consider, you know, because a lot of people do go to these parks to ride things like Splash Mountain and be thrilled and, uh, you know, experience a, a physical sensation more than just kind of like a mental or emotional stimulation. Sure. Yeah, totally. So this one really feels like a toss up for me. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to go with X. 
Okay. I think I'm going to go with like the, the kind of like classic, the classic bias with X. Um, just because when I think of Disney legends, I really think of those kind of like trailblazers that set the, that lay the foundation for people like Tony Baxter. You know, they set the standard. They say, this is, this is the high level of excellence that we, that we aim to achieve. I mean, you've got X Atencio hanging up in your bathroom, bro. Oh yeah. Uh, so, so I'm going with X. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with Tony. I'm going to go with Tony because I think he takes everything that X was and the X kind of experience and energy of being given a task and, and exploding it and taking it to the furthest lengths that it can go on a much grander scale. When you think about what X did, he was given these these smaller projects and he made them huge. He added the the music, the voiceovers, like he figured out how to tell these stories. And then you got Tony Baxter who found areas that lacked story and gave them a story. You have a fantasy land that was a renaissance kind of carnival atmosphere that didn't fit that Disney known theming and it didn't fit the rides that were in them. They were very well themed at the time as they are today. So he said, we we need to provide a story. You're entering a land of fantasy where you're entering the land of stories, the, the stories that we've been telling for decades. And so he he's giving you a place to go to experience the story before you experience the stories. It's It's that bringing it further. He worked with the the nineteen ninety eight Tomorrowland revamp. Like that place yeah. had no story, and he tried to give it one. Right, <laughs> didn't really sure. work so well, but he tried <laughs> to give it one. He's like, we got to go for this more like false future, yeah, the steampunk future, yeah, where things are a little bit more like gold rust and like it's a yeah. future that will never be, but we always think about. Didn't really work, but at least he's applying that story, and here he is having to do thrill attractions, but sticking to that story element. You're on a runaway uh, mind train. You are experienced the story of Br'er Rabbit. Like he is always making sure that story is at the forefront, just as X did, but on a grander scale with a lot more credits. So I'm going to have to lean over on Tony Baxter, which means we're going back to Kyle for the tie break. Okay, hang on. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Oh boy! Here we go. He's. Uh, a, we got. It's not. What are they getting a quarter second? For? <laughs> I don't know, man. So. Flip of the coin. Here we go. There's man. I don't because every argument I want to make for each guy, the other guy can sort of have like the same argument, but in a different vein. Sure. And so I just gave up. <laughs> fair. What do you want from me? Fair. <laughs> that is like fair. the Fantasyland facade and that design. Fantasyland is one of the things that there's it's Main Street. There's three things. It's Main Street. It is the Star Trader. Yeah. Oh. And it is Fantasyland are the three things that like Disneyland. Great like, take. I'm Great here. Take. I'm arrived. Totally. Sure. And that was like, okay, well, I'm going with Tony Baxter because that's that's what. But then Exitencio wrote 
grim grinning ghosts and pirates life for me which are two things that like take those out of those attractions and, and the attractions not the same yep so i'm flipping a coin here we go here we go coin flip. Uh, heads heads is baxter tails on this wonderful new hampshire quarter you're 2000 this is ancient um <laughs> Heads four seed, tails five seed. Okay. Uh, tails, tails, tails. We got tails. Tails, oh, X is tails for tails for Atencio. Tails for Atencio. X is moving right along. Yeah, honestly, it was a toss up, and uh, I'm keeping this. I'm keeping this nearby. Yeah, I'm just gonna say because I think we have some real tough decisions ahead of us. Let's move on to this next one, which is that next tough decision. It's the number two Mary Blair versus the number seven Claude Coates. Kyle. Do you want to give information about Mary Blair, or do you want to wait until we talk about it? I want to. No, like, I just have. I just have a take. Yeah. I wouldn't even call it information. I, I just have a take. I want to hear. I, let's hear the take, please. I think that you could argue that Disney is not where it's at currently without her, her artistic direction. I and yeah. her the way she did art and the way her mind worked i just think that having having her there was was so vital to moving disney in the direction um that that it wound up moving there's a lot of these things and i don't want to disparage claude coats no that's not my goal chris is bristling <laughs> but i feel like there's a lot of things where it's like okay well this designer designed this animatronic thing, but like they probably would have found another designer who could have done that. Sure. With with Blair, they're probably not going to find another artist with that same a mindset, that childlike mindset, and b the style of art that kind of pushed Disney into. I think D twenty three calls it the modern era. Right. So, I just think she's hella important. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. I think that she's incredibly important. She to me, she's one of the, you know, top three most important artists of the Disney company as far as yeah. influencing it, right? That like she has you think about Disney's like introduction of Technicolor, right? And here they are using red blues and greens and they're they're figuring out and it's very basic and then they want to push the envelope but they don't go the color route they go the audio route and you have something like fantasia that yes of course uses a lot more color and artistry but the sound is really what they're going for and then they go the music route and the live action route and that doesn't necessarily use any of these color elements but then you introduce somebody like mary blair who can do both she can go ahead and, and set the scene for something that is live action, like it's so dear to my heart or a song of the South and make sure that those live action colors and the colors of the costumes all work for the scenes that are, that are happening, all work for the characters that are there. But she can also then look at the animation and portray emotion in a way that Disney wasn't necessarily doing. And you even think about something like 101 Dalmatians where they're like, screw all of that, all of that art theory about colors and emotion, we're going to go with this like 
postmodern look for everything. Everything's going to be really flat. And it didn't do super well in the box office because people were like, this is, doesn't feel like Disney. And, and it feels like Mary Blair steps in and is like, what people want to see is artistry. They want to see emotion and color and they want to see story told by color. And she played such an important part that never got credited. And that's like also what's super frustrating and also why I think I, I try and champion her yeah. is that like her story is so depressing. Yeah. Like she was just such a broken human almost kind of forced to do this work because she was married to the dude that actually worked at the studio and was brought in as a quote unquote consultant and influenced the color schemes of Cinderella of Alice in Wonderland. I have an Alice in Wonderland mug sitting over there that's in the style of like a Mary Blair concept art. Like yeah. she she formed these movies and then handed it off so that the animators can make them. And then never got credited for it because what are you going to do? Like concept artist on this is Mary Blair. Like, no, they say layout artist is Ivan Earl, Right. And so right. she basically crawled so that these other art directors could run, in my in my opinion, and crawled so much that she crawled under the radar, unfortunately. Her other work, and I, this is a Disney podcast, but her other work is also incredibly iconic. Like if you've ever owned a little golden book in your childhood, yeah, there's a good chance that she helped to illustrate some of really? that. Yeah, she worked for little golden books for a super long time in between her stints for Disney and then also worked on a ton of ad campaigns. Her most famous one is the Little Lemonade Girl. And it looks like a small world girl holding like a lemonade jar. And that was used for a lemonade company. Then you start seeing where like Walt is luring her back. She starts getting to this like childlike thing. He wants a park for families. He wants a park that has things that kids and parents can do. What's better than like this very whimsy. uh, I don't want to keep saying childlike, but it is like this childlike wonder machine that is it's a small world. Uh, and brings her back and she does and she absolutely knocks it out of the park and if she hadn't then it wouldn't still be here today it's it's she just was a genius when it came to color a genius when it came to vision and she was able to do it despite being like the only woman in the color department that wasn't ink and paint and the only woman that wasn't an imagineer you know like it's a tough spot she had a tough life and she absolutely killed it uh I love Mary Blair a lot. I have a lot of books on Mary Blair. I'm obviously a Mary Blair stan <laughs> out here. Um, off my soapbox, she's up against Claude Coates, who's also Claude Goats. He's out here just being the greatest of all time when it comes to immersive set design, both in a, in a film context and in an experiential context. You don't get, you can get the Mark Davis gags and you can get the Yale Gracie kind of scares. Uh, as you go through the Haunted Mansion, but none of those work if you don't have the many mirrors that go down the hallways to make them look longer or the the growing uh, plant overgrown plants that are kind of surrounding the the dude who's trying to get out of the right. the yeah. um, coffin. You don't have the the move from the normal pirate town to the burning pirate town and the effects of the fire and, and using fire to convey what had just happened. Like that storytelling is so important beyond what the animatronics are doing and saying, right? You need the set to also sell it. 
who who would have thought to put like animatronic pirates on this forced perspective boat that is firing to another fort that you're in the middle of and then leave nothing like have it completely black so it looks like you're out at sea attacking a fort like everything is just so well thought through and it comes from the mind of this guy and you know uh tess will continue to always drag me for this take but like i love the film pinocchio and it's mostly for the artistry of the lay- like the background layouts. Totally. It is just so impressive. Yeah. How much how much detail they have. Every time you watch, you pick out something new and you're like, "Wow, how did they even think to set the scene?" Like Pleasure Island is the, my favorite example. There's just so much chaos happening there. Yeah. And yet he's able to show not only how much chaos is happening, but how much how much darkness is happening in that chaos. It's not right. it's not the fun chaos. It's the darkness chaos. So like, he's just an absolute design genius as well. These are like, these, yeah, man. This is such a <laughs> I hate this a lot because it's like, what do you do? We go back to Kyle to flip a coin. The rest of this episode is just flipping coins. Yeah, out it's here. like, like on, the, on the like. Normally, people don't like comparing apples to oranges, but in in the case of Mouse Madness, comparing apples to oranges is almost easier. Oh, because so it's much like easier. Comparing yeah. apples to apples, well, they're both apples. Yes. So. Uh, it's, and we've narrowed it to these folks that do it all. Yeah. Right? Who do the the traditional animation, what this company was built on, and then transfer it into what we know it as today. And that's really important to being like a legend of a company. You do, you've do, you done it all and you've seen it all. Um, I'm going to go ahead and because I champion her, I'm going to be Mary Blair. Uh, I think that like creating for both creating in, in this kind of adversity, I don't think that necessarily like is a part of like the Disney way because I think the adversity was Walt being a dumbass for most of the time in the early company. Like he just was an idiot with how he spent money. Um, but I think that her ability to overcome all of that. Yeah. And then also be put on these impossible projects. Like what is this entertainment and animation studio doing, creating pavilions at a world's fair? And here she is needing to go to New York and figure it out. She go, she was on the Goodwill trip to uh, South America. Yeah, like yes. she's like, That's, yeah. she's done all of these things, these legendary things that we know from the company. It just feels like it fits so well. So I, yeah, I'm going to go with Mary Blair here. Yeah, it's, it's really hard. Um, and you did mention that Mary Blair has worked on so many movies. Um, I think that Claude Coates's resume is just a little bit more extensive sure. and like not by much. Like it's just a little bit more expensive, extensive, both in the volume of movies that he worked on, as well as the number of attractions at Disneyland, yeah. as well as like Disney world parks that he worked on um, as well. So I think for that reason, I'm going to go with Claude Coates and I'm going to throw it to Kyle Madsen for the tiebreaker. (laughs) I'm not flipping a coin this time. Okay. This to me, and I, I, this to me comes down to, I'm picking Claude. It comes down to, right. So I, I thought for sure I was going to pick Mary because like I said, I don't think Disney gets where it's at, especially visually without, without her. However, 
I I cover the 49ers for a living. Yep. The San Francisco 49ers. And <laughs> something people always talk about with Jerry Beach. Rice, Hall of Fame wide receiver. Yep. Is um I don't know what your demo is. So I'm trying to <laughs> hey, you're you're right to assume it's not the football people. I'll tell you that much. Okay, so Jerry Rice is arguably the best like football player of all time. And you can split his career in two, and he has two Hall of Fame careers. Yeah. There's like 21 through 30 and then 30 through 40. And he's a Hall of Famer in both cases. That's where Claude is to me. You can just take his resume as a background artist and painter. And it's like, wow, he belongs on this list. And then you look at what he does as a attraction designer and his show designer. And it's like, wow, he belongs on this list. But they're both his resume. And that pushed him over the top for me. Interesting. And I, I feel bad because it seems like kind of disrespect to Mary Blair, which it's not. Uh, Claude's resume is just completely outrageous. Yeah. Sure. 100%. And like Mary Blair has that, that notoriety as well. Like when, when people think of Disney legends, like she is, she is very, I mean, she's the number two seed, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. Claude Coates, maybe you might have to go, oh, wait, what did he do again? And the, but then you go into it and you're like, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Hold the phone. Yeah. Um, all right. Our if, final, if you're telling, if you're, if you're teaching a history class of Disney, I feel like Claude Coates is going to come up more often. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't even and, have a chapter on Claude Coates. You would have a section of every chapter where it's like, so right. during during the early animation, Claude Coates section. And then, <laughs> you <Right>. know. the <laughs> Well, that's yeah, that's how I know so many of these Disney legends yeah. is I read a, a Walt Disney autobiography. Yep. And so many of these names just they come up from beginning to end bill anderson or yeah. ken anderson yeah. and mark davis and we're gonna talk about the we're gonna talk about a couple of them right now <laughs> it's number three of iWorks versus number six mark davis so uh we kind of started talking about ub yeah uh in the last episode that's ub ub iWorks um we said that he met walt in 1919 when they were both 19 years old uh, and they founded, uh, they went on to fa- found Laugh-O-Gram Films. Yep. Uh, and uh, followed Walt to Hollywood, the old uh, American dream where he was a part of the Disney Brothers cartoon studio. They produced the Alice comedies um, and sketched Mickey Mouse for the first time, animated Playing Crazy by himself. Um, and then you kind of started about talk, started to talk about some of his like technological contributions to the Disney company, but also like to animation and to film, like oh yeah, in general. So, uh, one of his creations was the multi-head optical printer, uh, and that was one of the tools that combined live action film with animated footage movies like melody time and song of the south used that technology it is so sad that like song of the south has the subject matter that it has because it was such a groundbreaking project and when we read about a lot of these disney legends that movie keeps coming up yeah uh and it's one that no one gets to see anymore <laughs> uh, for good reason, of course, but uh, up won two Academy Awards for, for his 
designs yeah. uh, for his for his optical printer um and you know collaborating on color technologies and math photography and stuff like that um Walt Disney was not the only animation studio in town at this time. No. I mean, they're still not. Right. But nowadays, we do think of Disney as the gold standard in animation. Uh, you you can just watch an Illuminations picture, which is the Minions. Yep. Uh, or a DreamWorks picture, which is like Shrek. Or I think they do like maybe the How to Train Your Dragon. Yes, movies? yeah, that's DreamWorks. Illumination is like the Sing movie. Uh-huh. I think Secret Life of Pets might be Illumination. Yeah. Um, but like you put all of these studios next to each other, and Disney and Pixar are like clearly multiple steps above right. like these other animation studios. And back in Ub's day. That wasn't the case. And in, 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 in a lot of ways, Walt Disney was behind the competition. They were just a startup yeah. trying to compete with the big dogs. Uh, your, your RKO, RK, is that sort of RKO? RKO, yeah. RKO, yeah, yeah. they did animation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> uh, Universal? It's a wrestling move. Maybe? It is a wrestling move. <laughs> Uh, Universal, maybe, maybe something like that. Um, Betty Boop, right? Felix the Cat, yeah. I think they were Fleischer, Fleischer Studios, Fleischer. Okay, MGM, uh, the Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, and so names, names, studios. These, these, these Up Iwerks contributions. Like this is this is this just the beginning oh, yeah. of, of the Disney corporation being a trailblazer, not just in like creativity and like we create the most compelling stories and the most well fleshed out characters, but we also like make it look better than everyone else too. Yeah. And like, it's just, uh, it's insane how much better they are across the board. And like, this is, this is the birth of all that. So, uh, Props to Up, yeah, for being kind of the father of that. Um, he went on in in the sixties to to help contribute to the to the Disney Parks thing as well. He wasn't so he wasn't as involved as a lot of these other guys are. No, he didn't get like plucked for Imagineering projects and stuff like that because he left. He yeah. left the studio completely and founded his own like right. special effects company and then basically came back to the parks as almost like a consultant to right. help with some of this stuff. Uh, so like your your regular rotation of rides, Small World, Great Moments of Mr. Lincoln, the yeah. Hall of Pre- Presidents, Disney World Project, stuff like that. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, Kyle Madsen, you referenced Babe Ruth. You go, okay, if Babe Ruth was playing today, like how good would he be? Probably not very good, but like you go back to when he was in his prime and there's a reason why he's considered one of the oh, goats. Oh, sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, and then you've got Mark Davis, another one of these guys who does a little bit of everything. He's a jack of all trades and, and we kind of talked about his primary skill being in the character department. He was one of the nine old men and he uh, created so many characters that we all know. Tinkerbell, Maleficent, Cruella de Vil, um, and his skill for creating characters in animation. 
translated into theme parks, uh, whether that be characters with names that we know, like Madame Leota, or just the ability to give character to otherwise nameless audio animatronics. Totally. You can, you know, you roll up to the the pirate who's passed out uh, by the bridge in Pirates of the Caribbean and he's, he's drunk and he's, he loves the cats and you go, <laughs> yeah. okay, that is like, we experienced this pirate's presence for like 15 seconds and he like stokes the fires. Exactly. Like you understand it. You can imagine how he probably got to where he was. He, he got off the ship and the first thing he thought to do was like, I'm going to go get drunk. Yep. Uh, he maybe is kind of antisocial. Like there are those types of people that like, when they get drunk, they want to hang all over their best friends. And then there's people at the party that get drunk and they want to pet the doll. Right. You know, <laughs> like that's just, that's, and like on cue, Kyle Madsen has a cat ass <laughs> in his Zoom frame. Um, so, uh, impressive. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we keep talking about detail and the level of detail that's really important when we think about Disney uh, and like, Mark Davis was was just a a great example of that being used. I gotta go with UB. Gotta go with UB. None, literally, none of this would be possible without UB iWorks. Yeah, I gotta go with UB as well. When you talk about like the details of giving characters personality and and stories, like he's out here being the animator for Mickey at the beginning. He's giving Mickey the personality and and the movement and who who Mickey embodies from the start. And he also like we kind of skipped over his Oscar for for the color matte photography, but it was color traveling matte photography. And so that's basically when you have a matte painting background, but you leave out some of the image so that you can put the film in it, but the background will continue to move with the film. So the the photography the matte photography also has to move. So like the cutout of where the film goes has to move with the background as well. Right. If that makes sense. So Feed the Birds is the perfect example. The matte painting is the cathedral. That's not a real cathedral. It's a right. painting. But there's a little bit of live action at the bottom. And it's the bird lady. And he won an Oscar for for that scene. Um, but it like the the camera comes down and swoops down and the birds fly over the matte painting. And the matte painting is growing getting more detailed but the the space where the film is is getting bigger because of where the bird lady is like that had never been done like that's incredible that is super insane and there's a couple of other technological stuff that he contributed to the parks that uh, i want to bring up next time because i'm also going to move up iWorks along uh kyle and your cat what do you what do you two think yeah, it's the right move. I've been going through and jotting like little notes just just as easy reminders of like, here, this is the thing I think this person contributed. Yeah. And for this one, I just wrote up. Yeah. Just up. Like he's just a I like I said, I I don't He's, he's a dude. Up. He's a dude. He just he just won his his what is that, Elite Eight? Eight? Is that how many? He just won his Elite Eight matchup by like forty. <laughs> he's rolling right now. <laughs> Goodbye, Mark. Blowout time. Yeah, Mark. Mark with a C. Come on, bro. <laughs> Come on. Who does that? All right. Let's talk about this first final four matchups. The 16 seed Sherman Brothers versus the number five 
ex attensio. And this is this is a it's still tough because the legacy aspect, right? Like you have the Sherman brothers who are told to come write a song for something and they'll come and they'll do it and they'll try and they'll give it to Walt and he'll say yes or no and they'll go back. That's what we see with Saving Mr. Banks, right? And sometimes they hit, sometimes they miss, whatever. They're the Sherman brothers. They establish this story arc for all these films. They establish the sound of Disney and Disney songs. They establish the sound of Disney attractions, a lot of them. Uh, and then you have Exitensio. And why I'm moving Exitensio on in this matchup comes from that one quote that I gave in last episode where X was talking about how he didn't know how to do any of this stuff, but he did it and he gave it to Walt. And Walt was like, yeah, that's great. And he thought that him writing the uh, Yo-Ho Pirate's Life for me should go to the Sherman Brothers. And Walt's like, "Uh -uh, give it to George Bruns. He'll write the score. But your melody, the Sherman Brothers are going to put it into their own sound, their own style. But X nailed it. Like if you X marked the spot in that moment, if you can make something so good that the head honcho wants to pivot away from the staple that has defined the sound of the company for decades, then you've done something there. And that's what he did. And he knocked it out of the park. And that's why Sherman Brothers, imagine if the Sherman Brothers did the, the music for the Haunted Mansion. You would just be marching through that that <laughs> that mansion in your doom buggy, you know. Like it, it wouldn't be the same. Like X just understood the assignment through and through, even when he didn't know how to understand it. Hmm. And that's what I think makes a Disney legend. They know where they are and what they need to do to accomplish the story, even if they need to figure it out. Tony Baxter is the same way, right? And that's why he, he's been su su such a powerhouse. But here you have Exitensio really setting that foundation and just making it happen in a way that is conducive to the Disney vibe. So I'm going to go with Exitensio. I'm with you. Uh, he's, got the, he's got the film. He's got the animation. He's got the crafting. He's got the music. He's got everything. Sherman Bros are great. Um, very sort of happy to see them advance as far as he did at 16. Um, but it's definitely X, uh, Kyle Madsen. Do you agree? Yeah, he, he has his hands on so many just fundamental Disney things and he grew up with Disney. Right. And that's why he wanted to work at Disneyland. So like you, like you guys said, he just kind of died in the wool Disney guy who got his gig by breaking into places he shouldn't have been. <laughs> <laughs> and I rock with that. <laughs> All right. Who will Exitensio face in the finals? We've got the number seven uh, seed, Claude Coates versus number three, <laughs> Ub Iwerks. And, and Kyle's already out here throwing down an Ub. Yeah. Um, I'm, a, I'm throwing down a Claude Coates. Oh, man. The idea that Ub Iwerks contributed to the birth of the animation studio is so great and so important. But there is this sort of physical element to enjoying Disney yeah. as we know it today. And Claude Coast was just more uh, influential and more important in that aspect of, of the Disney company. So I got, I got Claude. One thing that uh, did and changed the game forever and is 
set, I think, set Disney on the trajectory to what they do in the theme park space today is he developed the Circorama camera. He created the 360 right, camera yeah. rig to put on top of a car, put mm-hmm. under a helicopter to shoot 360 film for the uh the like uh what is it um, America, America the beautiful America the beautiful um Circle Vision I don't remember what I don't think it that really had a theme at that time but he developed that and now we get things that are like the Shanghai Pirates of the Caribbean attraction where you're just covered by screen seamlessly uh, you get the soaring over California soaring over the world in which you're kind of in this massive 180 screen that is seamless they're out here trying to figure that out. And Claude is such a master of not only photography, but effects or not Claude, sorry. Ub is such a master at photography and effects that he puts together something that has never been done before. I wish they had mentioned this in the, the, uh, what I referenced last time, the Lucasfilm documentary uh, on Disney plus, but like the Mandalorian was shot in this thing called the void. It's the like, almost 360 seamlessly uh, adapted wall of screens so that the actors could be acting in the place that they're supposed to be. And it's such high quality that the cameras don't pick it up as a screen. Like hmm. that technology was started here with of iWorks developing a 360 camera rig. Like that is bonkers to me that he was able to do that. And then here we are like, Claude Coates is setting the the stage for Madame Leota, but Madame Leota only works if you have Ub Iwerks figuring out how to track a static image with a projector to make it move. So he developed the technology for that, the singing busts in the Haunted Mansion. Ub Iwerks developed the technology for that. All of that, and that's what we have with like mocap and with projection mapping. And like he's he was doing that for these very early themed experiences and that set not only disney but what feels like the rest of the world in the entertainment space often running and trying to emulate that it's just he's finding things that finding ways to take what he knows and and put it up a notch and he did that throughout his career and i think that's what disney tries to do it's what walt said about disneyland it'll never be finished it's only going to get better like we're going to continue to iterate on it Ub has been able to do that. Claude Coates, I think, did his job extremely well. I think like he took the animation game and put it up a notch. I think that he went into set design in themed experiences and set the standard. But I don't think that he necessarily was innovating. He was told to do something better and he did it the best while Ub was solving problems. And I think that that is more of the Disney legend way. Seeing the vision, making it happen at any means necessary. So I'm going to go with Ub, which was, I think, maybe a dunk because we heard Kyle, but now he's scratching his chin as if you said something that might have swayed <laughs> him again. So I went back. Well, I went back to the Coats, like two resumes thing. Yeah. And it's like, man, that's really hard to argue with when you talk about his impact in the parks and in the animation. The two things that make Disney sure. what it is. That said, if we're just having a conversation, we're not ranking these guys, we're just talking about them. I think when someone says, okay, of works, talk about him, somebody in the room is going to go, oh, it's a legend. Right. And that he just kind of def- 
finds that and maybe i'm maybe i'm being too uh linear my definition or my thinking here but when i think disney legend it's not disney who has the best resume it's who who do you think of to me it's who do you think of first and and of my work say like, is he 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 is disney yeah uh, at least at least from the beginning so I'm going with Ub here, although the argument for Claude Goats is very, very strong. All right. We are in our finals. It's the number five Exitensio versus the number three Ub Iwerks. And this is this is crazy because you have this almost lifer. I mean, I hinted at it at, at the first part of this bracket where there was kind of a falling out between Ub and the Disney brothers because here he is doing all of the groundwork, innovating for for Walt and Roy. But he's not not only not getting rewarded for it, but he's not advancing in his in the company for it. He's kind of being seen as just another one of the animators when he is he should have been like the animator. And eventually he leaves and does his own thing. And I think that was very important for his career. I don't think that he does what he does on stuff like Mary Poppins, if he doesn't leave and tries to get out of just the animation game when Disney was focusing on it. But he he changed... He, he was the main player in the innovation race that has been founded... That has been a part of Disney since the beginning. Disney always wanted to just do, do things better. Do it better, do it different. If we're going to do cartoons, we're going to make them as detailed and smooth as possible. If we do that, then we're going to add synchronized sound to them. If we do that, then we're going to make them into a full-length feature film. And they're hitting all of these notes. And here's Ub along for the ride, figuring out not only how to do it, but then reiterating on it. So he figures out how to put Alice in, in this cartoon wonderland and then takes that same technology later on and develops an optical printer to do it even better, right? We didn't even talk about the fact that he helped to found the Xerox process. Like we don't really have copy machines if we don't have a Bioworks. And he does that on 101 Dalmatians, the greatest film that's ever happened. He's, he's figuring out a way in which the animators don't have to draw and fill in every individual spot. They can go ahead and just make act- printed copies of them hand them off and continue on. It also just helps to keep them consistent, but he he we don't we don't have office coffee printers without a <laughs> Mr. Iwerks. Um and just what I was saying last time with his ability to figure out how to immerse in the parks with his special effects work. Madame Leota doesn't work if her face isn't also talking to us as her head is floating around. The singing busts does they don't really come through if they're just static busts? Uh, it's he just understood how to advance the experience. Exitensio did the same thing though, right? He understood how to advance the story experience. He understood when something needed a song. He understood how to use his words in a way that maybe the the average person couldn't to convey an emotion and convey a feeling, convey. A, a mini story in it. Adventures through inner space is the greatest part, the greatest example of that. It's just a voice. 
There's no person attached to it. And yet he's able to convince you that not only have you shrunk to the size of an atom, but you're in the consciousness of another person who has done it before you experiencing the things that he did. And you have such little reference around you. That ride is dark as hell. Like you're just traveling through the dark and suddenly like a big snowflake will go yeah. by you. <laughs> like yeah. it's, it's insane what a part X played in how we tell stories, not only in an animation standpoint as an animator, you have to know how to tell stories, but in what Disney has now become lean further on, which is these theme park experiences. And you take the cues from somebody like X. But I think that it's not just resume. It is the constant accomplishment of somebody like Ub Iwerks that takes the crown for me. Yeah, I think both of these uh, Disney legends embody this spirit of I can figure it out. Oh, yeah. And like that is that is the most important thing to me when I'm considering, you know, what is a, a Disney legend? It's it's someone who is constantly tinkering uh, and, and it's really not it's a it's a a quality that not a lot of people these days have that are in their early to mid twenties and early thirties. Like we are Yeah, where you just spend your free time screwing around, (laughs) like trying to teach yourself how to do something, trying to figure something out. Uh, So many of these like great company founders that we can, we, you know, we know about Yvonne Chouinard founded Patagonia because he made shorts for rock climbing. And the only way he knew how to make shorts is he took apart a pair of shorts and then he to put another pair of shorts back together. Same thing with like Exitensio breaking down how mm-hmm. to write lyrics for a song. I don't know. I've never done it before, but I've heard a song before. Let me dissect it and figure out how it works. Uh, by works. I don't really know how this thing is supposed to happen. I know what it's supposed to look like in the end. Right. But let me spend uh, all my free time <laughs> figuring it out. My entire life. You know, screw these magazines. Don't need to read those. <laughs> Uh, we can, we can devote all of our attention to this, this other thing. Um, so I like that about, about both of these guys. I think X going to world war two is an extremely, (laughs) extremely valuable piece of information. We need to remind ourselves when we're thinking about this, this finals matchup. The thing is, I think we tend to be very, very parks bias. And these technologies that you're talking about are very important to like how the park, like how it works. Yeah. And like X represents like it working. Like it's, it is what we see uh, when we go there, but Disney's nothing without the animation studio that came before it. And Oh, works. His name is all over every single thing uh, that is the early animation studio. So I'm agreeing with you. Oh, I have the number three seed of iWorks also winning, which means we've got our champ. We've got our champ. The, the biggest Disney legend is the number three seed of iWorks. And as we do at the end of every bracket, it's time to clap it out. Kyle, number three of iWorks comes through. Did we, did we find the true Disney legend here? Yeah, I think I said it in, uh, in the in the first show. If you had omitted him because it was too easy, I wouldn't have blamed you. Yeah. But that said, 
the last two matchups against Claude Coates and Exitensio, those are the only two people of these 16 that I think could even stack up a, like where it's a true discussion. Yeah. And if you had gone the other way, it wouldn't have been outrageous. So I, I feel like, I feel like a very, very tough bracket kind of whittled down the way it, it should have. And, and it went the way it should have of iWorks is, is the legend for me. The legend right there. Well, Kyle, we appreciate you joining us for this historical deep dive. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we we kicked you out of the uh, the sad the sad brackets, the turnt brackets. We brought you into the history, and you killed it. We appreciate you, and hope you'll come back. Literally, anytime. <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, you know how to reach us. Do you have something to say about these Disney legends? Do you have a bracket idea of your own? Would you like to hop on and do some co-hosting on the Mouse Madness podcast? We would love to hear from you. Email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit, up, or hit us up on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Discord. All those channels are linked in the description of this podcast. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can head over to patreon.com slash mousemadness and become a member of Jerry's gang by joining us at the $5 level where you'll have access to things like two bonus Mouse Madness episodes every month. Oh access to our seasonal Jerry's Gang trivia nope. event which is always super fun you get to vote on bracket topics video episodes and just general updates from the boys uh, it's a real fun time check us out over there it's been another great bracket folks and just just a little reminder that miracles from molecules <laughs> around us everywhere killed it killed it <laughs>